I just want to say on the back of what uh, Edie was just saying, um, just briefly. What's the stairs? I was trying to what the rumble was. Uh, I just want to say thank you so much. We, this was a gigantic job. Uh, we worked out as we were ripping up the old tiles. We had this epiphany that maybe we shouldn't have done this. Uh, Monday about 12 o'clock, it was sort of, we can't go back now. Um, but I just want to say to everyone that came and put their hands to tools, to everyone that came and brought dinner, to guys that were here working, and to all of you that were praying consistently for finances and for provision, um, it was just incredible. We we did, what was that number, Win? What was that number you gave me? 317 total man hours were used in this building from Sunday night to yesterday at about seven o'clock so we can't you can't put into words how much how incredible that is that as a family we all got in and and did a a job that needed to be done um not only that the total cost now i might apologize for this because i'm sure i did the numbers i'm not great with numbers but according to my mathematics without my glasses was under a thousand dollars this whole upgrade cost us under a thousand dollars, so we got carpet donated to us by Food Bank, which came from um, Jetstar, one of the flight companies. I think it was Jetstar or Flight Center. Um, the glue that that um, glues it down was about two hundred and fifty dollars a barrel, and it was donated to us by Hans, one of the guy from Integra Flooring next to the old Crossing Point venue. Um, we had guys just donating so much stuff and pouring in. So I just want to thank you. And to the guys, again, who, who prayed and just covered this place in prayers while we were going through, it, it's really humbling to see. And thank you. In saying that, though, this thing that we're doing has nothing to do with this building. It is an incredible blessing that we have this place. It is, an, it is amazing that we have air conditioning, we have new carpet, we have new paint. It's comfortable. But that's not what we're here for. Um, the moment something in this building becomes... Um, important we need to tear it down and as we were working here I was getting this feeling that it's so nice to have this place but it's not important that if we have to there was many many a conversation between Josh and I that uh, we could just leave it go home for the week and have church in the park because we were tired Uh, but the reality is that, that if that's what it comes to then that's okay what we're here to do is to worship our God. And it's nice that we can do it in this building and, and I'm thankful for that, but it's not what it's about. You know, there's something bigger that we're here to do. There's something something more important. Bro, do you want to come share that word? Just, just very quickly. Um, just during worship, I really, I believe that I heard God say something. Now, I'm going to put it out there because it needs to be public but I might be wrong. Something's going to happen in our nation quite soon that's going to cause the church to become disillusioned and and a little bit angry at the fact that this has happened because we've been praying as a church, not us particularly, but the church, for something not to happen. But we mustn't be angry with God because... Ultimately, he has a will that needs to be outworked. And sometimes things happen 
in order for that will to be outworked correctly. So I'm putting it out there because if it does happen, if I've felt correctly, then it's, it's something that can help us to just stabilize and not become bitter or angry in our hearts or even, most importantly, disillusioned in our hearts. And not to fight. There's no, there's fighting back. The, when the angel of the Lord came and stood before Joshua, he asked that angel, are you for us or for them? And he said, for neither. But I'm here to, to, to outwork the will of God to make sure that his purpose is done. And, and, and that's how we have to stand and look at it. God, God is not for us or for them. He's against the enemy, which is Satan, already defeated. Okay, So just remember that. I do hope I'm wrong. And, and the reason I wanted Brad to come forward with that is that it'll segue nicely out of uh, it's not about the building, it's about Jesus into what I want to talk about today. Last week we spoke about discipleship and I want to continue on, on that journey. And you know, one of the things that we spoke about last week is that Jesus, Jesus was the rabbi. He was known as the rabbi as to his people. And in the Jewish day, the rabbi carried an amazing significance in their lives that when the first uh, six disciples that we went through, when they heard of Jesus, they immediately put down their lives and followed him. That's because they understood what he carried. They understood who he was. They understood that the robes that he was wearing and, and the, the wisdom that he carried was the most honorable thing that they could walk under more than their fathers were. So they instantly left and went to be with him. He was also known, Jesus was also known as a, uh, in, in the Jewish culture, was what was called a Siddiq. And what that meant was that he was a, a spiritual man, the most spiritual man in the community, and also the most righteous man in the community. So he would have worn robes that, that represented that. But not only that, they had heard of the prophecy of this Messiah that was coming. So from the very get-go, these disciples knew who this man was. And they knew that it was an honor to follow him. So when, when Brad said that to me up the back just now and I was trying to work out where that was going to go, I thought, you know what, that's, what he is saying is that, is that it's imperative for us to understand our rabbi. It's imperative for us to understand who Jesus is because when the world turns upside down like the Bible tells us it's going to, we need to have a center, a cornerstone like we've preached before. We need to have an understanding of what is truth in our life. And I'm going to get onto that a bit later, but the, the reality is that all of this stuff, can fall away. Everything that we're fighting for, everything we're standing for can fall away and Jesus remains. So we have to understand it's, it's imperative for us as disciples, followers of Christ, that we understand who he is, what he's teaching, what he's on about him and, and what he says that we are and who we are. So I want to go through uh, the next, the last five disciples. Um, if you if you weren't here last week or if you're new, welcome. You can go and listen to the first part where I went through the, the first disciples and talked about who they were and how they came to be with Jesus and, and some of the, uh, the challenges that they faced. Um, and I want to go on and, and talk about the last five that, that I didn't do last week. And I need to begin with an apology because I mixed the names around last week. Um, I was talking about James. There's t- obviously, there was two James apostles, um, disciples. James the Lesser and James the Greater. The, the Lesser and Greater talks about their age, not their ability. Uh, and James the Greater was John's brother, was the one that I spoke about last week. That was James, the elder of the two Jameses. The one I'm going to speak about this week was, is the Lesser, the younger of the two Jameses. And I just got that a bit around the wrong way, which happens sometimes. 
So James the Lesser, James the Lesser was Jude's brother, and scholars argue as to whether or not he wrote the book of James. Um, as a matter of fact, there isn't a great deal that's said about James in the Bible. Scholars argue that he wrote um, the book of James, and other scholars argue that it was actually James, Jesus' brother. From what I can see in the Bible, and you can go and do your own research, from what I can see, it was Jesus' brother that actually wrote James, not the disciple that wrote the book of James. But there's a lot of controversy around that, but you can make your own mind up when you flick through the scriptures and read. And, but James the disciple, there actually isn't a great deal that's mentioned about James, um, which is kind of funny to me because Jesus put him on the team of, of the 12 disciples, but we don't really know a great deal. But we know that he had a heart that was willing to follow Jesus. We know that he was, he was excited and, and spurred on along with his brother to follow Jesus. The next disciple that we look at is, is his brother Jude or Thaddeus, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, Jude is known by, by theologians as, as, as Trinimonius because he had three names. So throughout the Bible you see, you see Jude references as three different names and those three names are, are Thaddeus, Lebius, and, and Judas. Judas, the brother of James, and Judas, the zealot. So you need to understand when you're reading through the Scriptures, when it talks about people, who it is actually talking about, which is why it's so imperative that when, when we read the Scriptures, we have to actually spend time understanding what the verse says, not just reading it to fulfill that day's uh, reading amount. Read one book a day or whatever, whatever thing you have. If you have to stop and spend half an hour working out who it's talking about, that is, is worthwhile to really capture who is it talking about because throughout the different uh, writings, we see different names based on, on what they saw in that person, how they called them that, why they called them that relationship. All these types of things come into play when we start reading through the Scriptures and we understand, wow, actually that was, that's talking about Thaddeus, the, the disciple of Jesus. So then we can start to understand, okay, so he sat at the feet of Jesus. He, he was taught personally by Jesus. We can start to really gather and understand, okay, this man knows who Jesus was and he understood the teachings of Christ. So Judas was quite an intense character and it, it's understood from his, his nationalist sort of uh, a, a view, but he was quite, quite intense. Some of the, some of the disciples, when they, when they came in to be with Jesus, they carried with them a heart that was was so passionate that came from the outside life and they tried to bring it in with their teachings of Jesus. They tried to, to walk along Jesus with that. And we see in John 14, verse 22, I'm not going to go there because I don't want to, to um, waste any time. And I just, uh, it's, you can go and see it. So just write it down if you're taking notes. John 14, 22, we see Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and that love, the, the love of the Holy Spirit will encapsulate us and, and, and come forth. He's promising the people the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's very interesting because uh, Judas, or Jude or Thaddeus, whichever way you look at it, is very perplexed by this because he doesn't understand why Jesus won't just reveal himself to the world. He actually asks, he, he asks Jesus, why won't you just reveal yourself? Just show the people the power. Because he came from a background, a... a um, a nationalist background and said, if you've got power, reveal it. If you're a king, then exert your power and just make people follow you. They came out of an, an era where having followers, you could do that through fear. So if I had a stronger army, I'll get cities alongside me because they'll join my army. So, so Thaddeus says to Jesus, just show them who you are. Show them your power. 
And Jesus responds in, in a manner where he, he talks about the fact that we can never negate... Sorry, I, I got off. I got off. Uh, he responds in a way that says, power can never be substituted by the way of love. We can never substitute the love that we're supposed to give for the power that we carry. So often in, in, in a Christian world, we're so, we're so quick to make someone understand who Christ is that we forget to love them. And this is the same problem that, that Thaddeus um, was caught up in when he was talking with Jesus. He said, Jesus, just show them who you are. Sometimes we, we, we walk through our, our lives and we want to grab somebody and just say to them, you're sinning and you're doing the wrong thing. But Jesus says, we cannot negate love in order to, to reveal a power. And you just think back to so many areas in, in the Christian church where if we had have got this right and understood what Jesus was saying to Thaddeus in that very beginning, we would have realized, oh my goodness. Nothing pains me more than to hear that the church has hurt people. Because exactly what Jesus is saying here is, is we should always operate in love first and then reveal power. So one of the biggest biggest learning things I think we, we see from, from, from Jude in the beginning is that he, he, he's, perplexed, he's perplexed by this. He doesn't understand, God, I don't get this. But Jesus said to him, let me show you the love that I have for you and you show it outward. So we can really begin to gather and understand, okay, Jesus was really trying to show these 12 disciples something that they were sitting with face to face. The next disciple that we, we meet or that, we, that I'm going to go through uh, is, is Matthew, or also known as Levi. He was called Levi, and then his name was changed to Matthew. Uh, he was the son of, of Alphaeus, and again, some scholars argue that he could have been the brother of Jude and James, but there's nothing more evidence in that than other than they had the same name, the same named father. Sorry, my language is all over the joint. Uh, so Matthew, Matthew's father's name was the same as Jude and and James's. So the interesting thing with Matthew that we find is that he was a tax collector that Jesus went to his house. We all know the story that Jesus goes along, he sees a tax collector, he then goes and eats with the tax collector and all the religious people of the day get upset and frustrated with him. It was Matthew's house that he went to. They went to this place and they sat and Matthew prepared a feed for Jesus, a feast that was, was incredible. And the, the most amazing thing is that, that Matthew would have known that he was a nobody to Jesus the rabbi because all of the religious people of the day looked at the tax collectors as terrible sinners. So Jesus is standing in the street just to paint the picture. Matthew's there as a tax collector would have been collecting taxes. Jesus, a rabbi dressed in robe, would have, would have carried an aura of a religious rabbi, comes along and says, come with me. The last thing that would have gone through Jesus, um, Matthew's head, sorry, would have been, I don't want to go and sit with you. You're just going to spit me up and chew me out and tell me how much of a horrible person he is because that's what he was used to from the religious people of the day. But instead, Matthew goes along with Jesus and prepares him an amazing feast, which must have meant that he understood who he was. And Jesus said, follow me, and he did. So as we go along these disciples, we start to, to get more and more along the, along the track that Matthew was a, a, a nobody, a scum in the eye of the religious people. Yet he understood 
the power and the authority that Jesus carried, enough to say, I will sit with you and I will make you a feast bigger than you've seen. See, when he understood who Jesus was saying that he was, he didn't feel like scum anymore because Jesus didn't make him feel like that. He didn't feel like a horrible sinner and a bottom feeder because Jesus didn't make him feel like that. So all of a sudden we have this man who to the religious people of the day is a nobody and all of a sudden now he's a disciple which in the Jewish culture wasn't easily handed out. You didn't just get to step into discipleship. So not only did Jesus sit and eat with Matthew, he made him a disciple. So it starts to blow your mind even more when you go, gee, I can understand why the religious people were cranky. Jesus didn't just sit with them. He gave them worth. He made them somebody. He didn't didn't just pat them on the back and say, good job. No, he gave them a value. And so often in the Christian world, we, we pat people on the back, but we don't give them any value. And Jesus is saying, yes, go and sit with the nobodies. Go and be with, with the, the undesirables, but make them feel and actually value themselves. We cannot just continue to sit in a place where we pat people on the back and we say, God loves you. Yes, he does. But Jesus gave people value through the way that he treated them. So when we begin to understand, oh my goodness, Jesus, you've called us to do something and it's so much bigger than we originally anticipated. But what that does is that unlocks, unlocks so much in that person, person. Matthew went on to write the book of Matthew. He went on to see miracle after miracle, to see healing after healing, to bring nations to Christ. But you can't forget where he came from. He was, he was a, a, lo, a lowly tax collector, yet Jesus gave him worth, gave him value. So we take two things from, from the, the, the story of Matthew as becoming a disciple, and that is that we aren't lonely. It makes us who we are. She shows a terrible time to do that now. Hammering home a point. We are not lowly and nobodies. Jesus pulled us out of that place to give us worth. To To say, I've chosen you for a work. I've chosen you to walk with me. I've chosen you to, to, to be with me. Remembering from last week that that chosen is, I saw you. Like he said to Nathaniel, I saw you by that tree. I know who you are. I know your heart. And I know what you can do when I unlock that. So you are not worthless and a nobody because Jesus made you a somebody. And, and the second thing we take is that as disciples, we have to go into the world and make people somebodies. Don't just sit with the, the undesirables. Be somebody that they can go, man, I'm excited because I know who I am. I'm excited because, because I, can, I can become a somebody. The next disciple I want to talk about is Simon the Zealot. Simon is referred to a zealot in, throughout, throughout the Bible. Now, to understand what a zealot was in, in the Jewish culture, in, 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 um, in the Roman culture, in the Greco-Roman culture, is to understand that, that a zealot was a, a Jewish 
fanatical nationalist. So they were sold out for the Jews. So much so that they would, they would kill and maim Romans because of their hatred for Romans. They, they disliked what Rome was doing. They disliked the um, authority and the borders that they were putting around. And they were fiery against the Romans. When you, when you read through some of the scholars that, that write about zealots, it, it talks about that their hatred and their anger just became everything for them. That they were so angry. So, so Simon comes along as a zealot and Jesus says to him, you're going to be on my team, you're on my A team. Choosing this man filled with hatred, filled with anger, filled with, with just a passion to remove the Romans from any, any form of life. And yet Simon abandoned all of that. Because he, he had a, an ideology, a, an understanding of, of do everything for the Jewish people to hurt the Romans. And Jesus said, hey, I want to show you how to love everybody. He goes, yeah, I'll join the team. So he had to let go of all of that thing. All of that who I am, he had to let go of. Years and years of learning and understanding, he had to let go of to understand the kingdom of love that Jesus was now teaching him. So sometimes we look at these scriptures and we go, oh, but it was easy for the disciples because Jesus was there. No, it wouldn't have been easy for the disciples. They had years and years of learning this hatred, of understanding how to cause pain, how to hate a whole other people. And Jesus says, lay that down and let me show you how to love. And they have to learn now how to let that go and now love somebody. See, sometimes we get so caught up in, in ourselves and in our, our own walk that we go, oh, no, but that's just who I, that's who I am. That's who I was. I was born to be. Well, let me tell you, Jesus told you that we got born again and we're going to change who we are. But the beauty of that is that we're changing from something wrong and broken into something beautiful and perfect. So although our, our heart sometimes and our, our, our brain wants us to do the old thing, the old nature, that old man is dead. We heard Arne speak about it. We've heard Brad speak about it. That old man is dead. So how do we renew our mind so that our new man is living in the right way that, that Christ has put out for us. So, unfortunately, the, that's my culture, or that's how I was brought up, or, or that's what I've always done, just doesn't work. Because Matthew, sorry, Simon, didn't get the, the chance to say that. He didn't get to refute to the fact and say to Jesus, no, I'm not going to love that guy because I'm a zealot. He had to lay that down. And the interesting thing that you need to pick up here, if you haven't already, is that the first person we talked about was Matthew, a Roman tax collector, who's a disciple on the team with Jesus, walking with him. And now we have a zealot on the team walking with Jesus. Imagine that when he walked into the room. Hey, hey, oh. Who's, what's he doing? You didn't tell me that guy was going to be on the team. So within, within an instant, he lays it all down, then he walks in, and now he's got to be friends with this guy. He has to learn with him. He has to, to pick up what Jesus is putting down with somebody who 20 minutes ago he would have killed. We've got to start to understand that it, it seems all perfect in here, that they didn't have hiccups, they didn't have, they didn't have shortcomings, they didn't have to work through stuff. The disciples worked through stuff that I think some of us never even begin to understand. You know, we have to go to work and work with that guy that swears from time to time. 
This was a guy that he, he in his past life, would have killed right on the spot. And Jesus says, right, both of you are my team. Let's go. Let's work together. So, so the thing that we take there is that, that they both had to lay that down. They both had to lay down the fear and the anger and the hatred. And the reason they did that is because they understood who Jesus was. They understood that they were going to be walking with somebody who was going to change everything. So every time we take something in our life and we measure it up against, well, I have to do all these things. Yeah, but, but we know who Jesus is. I have to, to serve in this area. Yeah, but I know who Jesus is. I have to catch a 40-minute train to work. Yeah, but man, I know God's called me there. When we start to, to measure that up alongside Jesus every time, we start to understand, oh my goodness, it all makes so much sense now. That the disciples walked through gigantic, had gigantic mountains in front of them, but they saw this rabbi and they said, I want to follow you. Now, obviously, we look at someone like the rich young ruler who didn't get that. He didn't pick up on that. He didn't understand that who Jesus was. That's why he didn't follow him. Because Jesus called him and said, put down what you have and follow me and I'll give you something greater. He couldn't understand the value of what Jesus was offering. But these guys did. And if you've, if you've decided to, to follow Christ and, and become a, a disciple of him, then so have you. You've understood the value. But we have to continually check ourselves and reevaluate all the time. In every instance of our life, when we're talking with somebody, when we're at work, when we're at home, when we're playing basketball, when, when, whenever we're doing what we're doing, we have to reevaluate who is Christ in this place. We heard Brad speak the other week about about bringing that kingdom and being the kingdom of God in that place and the importance of that. If you haven't heard that message, go and have a listen because it really challenges the way that we, we understand the kingdom of God, that the kingdom is in us and flows through us into that place. I want to get to the final uh, disciple that we're going to talk about. Judas, my man. Not my man, all at the same time. Judas. Most people, most even non-Christians know about Judas, that he betrayed Jesus, handed him over. We, we, we get about that much, huh? That Jesus, that Jesus loved him, but he betrayed him. The interesting thing with Judas, the thing that, that, that gets me is that it says that Judas became a traitor. To me, that says that he wasn't a traitor to begin with. But he became. God didn't make him a traitor. He chose a path. He had everything in front of him to walk out, just as the other disciples had, and he chose a path. Judas was called a devil by Jesus. We, you, they obviously didn't realize it was Judas he was talking about, but while they were talking in a circle, Jesus says, one of you will betray me, one of you is a devil. So he knew the betrayal that Judas was going to do, yet he still offered love. He still offered the chance not to do it. And just a quick side note, when uh, Paul, it's Paul who betrays Jesus, who um, 
Paul. Peter. Peter. Sorry. When Peter, Peter says to Jesus, I won't, I won't refuse your name. And Jesus says, no, no, you will. No, no, I won't, Jesus. And then without hesitation, he does it. Yet Jesus still loved him. See, that operation of love every time that Jesus was outworking, was showing. He knew, he, he knew that Judas was going to betray him and he still loved him. But the, the incredible thing for Judas is that he became the traitor and he went to, to the high chiefs and the high priests and he was offered 30 pieces of gold. Sorry, 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. He takes it, he goes, he betrays Jesus. And the moment that it all happens, he freaks out and he realizes, I made the wrong choice. I should never have done this. He goes back and he gives the coins, the silver back to, to the, uh, the high priest. And then he goes and hangs himself because he was so upset with what he had done. But he couldn't realize it right up until the moment that he had already done it. He couldn't stop and check himself and go, do I really want to do this? He walked so close with Jesus. He was a part of that inner circle. He would have seen miracle after miracle. He would have heard teaching after teaching. He would have felt that move of the Spirit. And yet the Bible says that the Bible says that, that Satan, um, sorry, what is it? Just give me two seconds so I can read it again. It says that Satan entered him and he did the wrong thing. He wasn't protecting who he was. He wasn't protecting the fact that, that God had given him so much and he allowed for Satan to come in just as, as Adam did, um, sorry, Eve did in the garden. He allowed that to come in and change the way that he, that he operated. But then the moment that, the, that Satan was finished with him, the moment that Satan did all he needed to do, which turned out to be a, a terrible thing for Satan anyway, but once he was finished with him, Judas instantly got that form of regret. Instantly he realized, I've stuffed this up. Now, fast forward to where we are now and the understanding of what Arne was saying with, with our sin and the way that, that sin is no more and that, that we, we no longer have to deal with that, but we have to transform our mind and change the way that we are. When we look at something in our lives, the moment we do something wrong, we regret it. Is that just me or is that that's, that's pretty, pretty spot on, huh? The moment that we do something wrong. It's like three seconds later you think, man, why did I do that? We actually had that this week. Something happened and, and there was just a, a, a poor choice made by one of us and instantly it was like, why did I do that? I should never have done that. Because in a lot of the times we get the position to make that kingdom decision, whether we want the kingdom to flow through us in that moment or not, whether we want to be what Christ is telling us to be in that place or not be. Judas made the wrong decision. He made the wrong choice. And he was riddled with, with guilt because of it. Satan will try and use the world to tear us apart. To give us the wrong ideas. To give us a, a curveball so that we, we don't play. He's happy for us not to play. Like what that, that word that Brad was saying is that the enemy is just trying to frazzle the church. Because if the church doesn't know what it's doing and it's disunity, then he's happy with that. The moment we start to unify and start to come together, the enemy will put cracks in that thing to attempt to pull it apart. The, the church that I was a part of in my hometown started to gather together and, and they had a lot of the churches in our, in our little hometown that were gathering together as a prayer meeting. 
and the church was vibrant. The church was thriving. The church that I was in was thriving. Other churches around were thriving. And they brought this, this prayer team together where all the other churches got on board. The moment that started to happen, the enemy tore that thing apart. But because the churches weren't guarded, they did. They fell apart. But the reality of that is that, that like what Brad was saying, is that God has already finished this thing. He's already beaten it. But it's up to us to make the decision to walk in the path that he continually puts in front of us and recheck ourselves all the way along so that we're making sure that we're following the example that our rabbis set. See, again, I know I've said this a hundred times, but I'll say it a hundred more times, that the, the, the Jewish people of the day understood that the rabbi was their, their teacher, understood that we, we follow his example and we live by his example. So we take that now to this, the Bible that we have, and we realize, okay, God, Jesus, what are you saying here? You're saying that these are the ways that we have to work out our life and live out our life. Fantastic, I'm going to follow that because I know that that's going to lead me to the place that I want to be and that you've designed for me. And the exciting thing about this is that this world is going to fall apart. But the reality that we stand in is so much greater. The reality that we have, that we hold on to, is, is amazing. But we have to understand who Jesus is. We've just finished a, a course, I guess, a, a um, teaching time on Jesus, and it wasn't even close to enough. For myself, reading through it, I still struggle to, to want to know more. Jesus, I want to know more. Because when I understand who you are, when I understand that, that my life mimics yours and I follow that you as rabbi, I'll begin to work out, yeah, my life, everything falls into place from there. So if there's one thing that we can understand from, from these 12 disciples. It's the heart that they carried toward Christ. It was a heart of wanting to know more. That, that fiery passion of Jesus, I'm going to chase you. I'm going to understand you. I'm going to put everything in you. I'm not going to put it in, in a building. I'm not going to put it in, in the men around me that are, are putting things together. I'm going to put it in you and I'm going to spend the time to understand who you are, whatever that looks like for me. Because the reality of that means that the moment we start understanding who Christ is, the moment we start to, to really pick up bit by bit, we'll see just as the disciples saw, man, the more I know, the easier this thing gets, the more, the more passionate, the more things Jesus gives to me. I'm almost finished. Of all of, of, all of, sorry, of all of the disciples and of what I've preached the last two weeks, we need to understand these things from Peter and Andrew, that Jesus removed our sin entirely. So we need to stop letting it get in the way of our walk with him. James and John, our heart must be fully invested in walking with Jesus. When we stuff up and misunderstand, we must learn and keep walking. Our zealousness can get us into trouble, but if our heart is in the right place, there is always something we can learn from what Christ is doing. Sorry. And Philip, it's okay to not have it all together. We need to learn that real big and real quick as Christians. It's okay to not have it all together. We're learning. We're disciples. We're students of Christ. Do not be afraid to be vulnerable with God. Ask questions. Ask questions and begin to understand. Nathaniel, 
Jesus knows who you are. He's seen you. He saw you like he saw Nathaniel under that tree. He knows you. He can see your pains and your triumphs. He loves you beyond your understanding and and has done since before you were conceived. This is the biggest and most important miracle we can and will ever need is that Jesus has seen you. He loves you. Thomas, it's okay to doubt. It's okay not to understand everything, but it's not okay to not seek the truth. It's not okay to sit in, in, I don't know. We've got to be actively seeking Christ, actively looking. There's times where we're never going to know. I said last week, Brad and I had a conversation where we had to just agree that neither of us had an answer. But I'll never stop seeking that answer. I'll never stop taking stuff and, and chatting through it and saying, hey, what do you think of this? What is this? Can you see this? Because I want to know. And God will reveal stuff as we go along, but never stop seeking. Jude and James are lesser. The way of power can never be substituted for the way of love. We must love first before we try and convince of power. The power will come in the love. When someone understands Christ's love, they'll understand his power because you can't have love. You can't have power without love. Simon Simon the Zealot and Matthew, there is no specific type of person that Jesus is looking for. And either should you. There is, there's, there's no race in the kingdom of God. There's no religious background and understanding in the kingdom of God because the love that he has trumps that. We must understand that no matter what we do, everybody is desirable in God's eyes. And everybody can understand who he is and begin to change into the direction that God has for him. And finally, Judas Iscariot. Finish well. Don't get so caught up in the man-made ideas of Christianity. Chase Jesus from the very beginning to the very end. Mary and Graham, I'm just going to say this because I think it's important. You guys, I'm so honoured to watch you guys. Yeah. I, I saw uh, a footsteps, and they were our footsteps, and then I saw the footstep of Christ come over our footsteps and superimpose themselves on them. So not only do we follow them, but we have to become one. It was like he said, you know, oh, don't just follow me. Walk my, you know, so it's doing what you're If... If Jess and I get to where you guys are, I'll be very, very happy. Me and Mia's had a bit of a cry last week, so we'll just uh, deep breath, me. We had a bit of a cry, but we got through there. Yeah. Same. Finish well. Finish well. And I'm not saying you guys are finished. Side note. Chuck a side note out there, I'll get in trouble. I'm not saying you've finished well, but I'm saying that, that, that the walk you guys have had is incredible. That so often we see, we see Christians and church leaders get disillusioned midway through and just, just sit on the sidelines. And we, we just need a, a church that can't have that. We need a church that, that has guys that have walked that journey, that have been there from the beginning and they're finishing at the end 
with their hands up. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Everything we do, we check, we check with ourselves and with what Jesus is doing. And if it doesn't line up, we don't do it. It sounds simple. I know it's difficult, but it really is simple. We, we check. Those, those bands used to wear, what would Jesus do? What is Jesus doing through you? And finally, I just want to say this one more time. We have to have faith and we have to have a heart. A faith in who Christ is and a heart to follow his call. Without those two things, we won't finish well. We'll fumble. We won't understand. And we'll never, ever learn. It's okay to not understand. It's okay to fumble. But we've got to get up and keep learning. Have a heart that knows that Christ is going to move you through that, rather. Have faith to know that he has a provision. He has He has the heart and the design for that thing. So why don't you just stand with me and we'll just pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God. We just honor you in this place, Lord. We just lift your name up, God. Jesus, we are so thankful that you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is our rabbi and our teacher. God, that our lives get to be mimicked and and get to become one with who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do, God. Father, I just pray, God, that as we, as we stand in this building that you've blessed us with, that this never becomes what it's about. The moment that that happens, you strip the building from us. And God, I pray that every heart here has a, a, a desire and a passion, a fiery, a fiery burn in their heart to follow you. To find out every every angle in their life that is not that is not of you, and remove it from their life, Father. I pray, God, that you just begin to to give an understanding and a passion and a desire to just want to chase you, to want to know you, to want to implement the 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 design that you've created in into their life in every single aspect. And Father, I pray that. that whatever that thing that Brad saw, Father, that, that we understand as a family, and as a church in this nation, and a church in, in, in the whole world, begins to understand that when we, when we unify together in your name, nothing can rock us. I just pray, God, that as that thing, and if that thing starts to, to change this, this country and this city, God, that, that you allow this church and other churches to band together and stand in unity with you in the kingdom that you've given us, the kingdom that you allow us to walk in now. And we thank you that you've given us more than enough tools to walk through this world and to navigate the things that it throws. And we just thank you, God. We praise your name and we just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, everybody.